gentlemen. This is Now Playing's Die Hard Retrospective Series. Welcome to the party, pal! Hosted by Arnie. It's always more of a Star Wars guy. Stuart. He didn't bring me along for my charming personality. And Jacob. Flying in the ointment, Hans. The monkey in the wrench. Pain in the ass. It's a good day to die hard. So each week, we will be watching and reviewing a new die hard film, ending with a weekend of release review of the new movie. Another basement, another elevator. Nothing the same shit happened to the same guy twice. This review will contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Listener discretion is advised. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Today is a good day to die hard. Starring Bruce Willis, Jai Courtney, Sebastian Koch, and Cole Hauser. Directed by John Moore. This is Arnie, co-host of Now Playing, and why the fuck am I here? I'm on vacation! <laughs> Yippee-ki-yay, Mother Russia! It's Stuart in L.A. <laughs> in Mother Russia, <laughs> Die Hard Watch You! <laughs> and this is Jacob, and it's a good day to podcast. Uh, maybe, I guess that's what we're here to find out. Oh my god. All right, let's count up the warning signs, right? You know, I've tried to be diplomatic. I've admitted I'm not the action movie guy and that I'm coming to this with a dose of healthy skepticism. But all right, it's been 25 years since the original. We have John McClane now partnered with his precocious son. The movie is being released on Valentine's Day. It's set in motherfucking Russia. What about this even looked good? I mean, I'm going to break my professional facade here and just say this has always looked like a flaming turd to me. I mean, I had no expectation that this would be a good day to watch a new Die Hard movie. I had hope. I had hopes for this film. I really did. I will say this. The biggest warning sign was its release date because, God help me, I cannot think of a movie we've ever liked (laughs) released in February, especially at Valentine's Day. And even above that, especially an action genre film in February. But the trailers looked okay, and I just didn't think Russia was that bad of an idea. He's blown up every place in the U.S. already. That didn't bother me. The director, I've never liked any of his other movies. I've seen Max Payne, the remake of The Omen, and Behind Enemy Lines. Didn't care for any of them. That was my biggest warning sign in the release date. But I was still optimistic that after the free fall of the last one, they could pull out and resurrect this series, which is dying hard. You know, he's gone from a building to an airport to a city to half the country to, hey, why not another country? Like, the escalation makes sense to me. I was a little tepid with the release date, February, Valentine's Day for an action film. Never a good sign. But... Arnie, you said you were okay with those trailers? You know, I said with Live Free or Die Hard, that was the highest rated trailer, the best response a trailer for Fox had ever gotten. I was watching the trailers for this film, and they scared the hell out of me. It was a bunch of explosions with Bruce Willis, like, 80-yard little quips. I'm back! What else do you got for me? Like, just all these cheesy lines, and I'm like, that's the best they could show me? I'm an easy sell for Die Hard. And these trailers scared the hell out of me. The problem wasn't just that it didn't look good and it didn't it said it didn't even (laughs) look like the franchise it was purporting to be i'm not gonna say the trailers excited me in fact they looked like the definition of generic 
but I didn't see that many of them either. It was kind of under-promoted in my mind. So they didn't do anything to turn me on, but they didn't do anything to turn me off. They didn't show Bruce Willis with a computer hacker, so I was okay. I also had absolutely no idea who this Courtney guy was who's right there on the poster with them. I mean, I understood the story was going to be John McClane and his son, that we talked about that on the previous podcast. They had thought about doing that for part four, but Courtney seemed like an odd choice is I don't really know him from anything, and a big movie like Die Hard, you might get somebody, I don't know, with star power? I would say that that has not been Fox's M.O. I mean, I will call out Fox for this, is that when they put out movie franchises, they tend to keep the aspects of the film that are the selling point. They're never going to make an X-Men movie without Hugh Jackman. I'm convinced of that. But by and large, they will allow largely unknown people to carry movies. In some instances, that proves their advantage. I mean, Michael Fassbender really exploded in that last X-Men movie. I mean, thank God they risked it on a nobody. But it also means that they're just not willing to kowtow to big star power. That's just not how Fox makes movies. And it doesn't surprise me that Bruce Willis is the only person you might recognize here, behind or in front of the camera. There is one person behind the camera that I recognized. Skip Woods, the writer. We've reviewed him before with X-Men Origins Wolverine, another Fox debacle. Yes, as well as Hitman and Swordfish. Yes, I was actually really interested in the source material. As someone that covered the novels in which this whole franchise was born, I care about who's writing this. This is the first time that they're not promoting where this story came from. Did it come from someplace else? Typically, all the other ones have had other scripts or books or, you know, at least a non-fiction source material. This one, I got not I. I have a theory. I have a blind guess that this was originally some idea for how to do a sequel to Taken. And when they realized they didn't want to do it with Neeson and his daughter, they're like, well, what about that Bruce Willis shit? Nothing about this story feels connected to Die Hard. That's going to be a refrain I'm going to say again and again and again. The story they came up with here has no ties to anything we've seen in any of the other movies, even less so than that Frank Sinatra one. I'll go a step even further, and as we get into the film, I'll bring up specific examples. I don't even know if this started out as a Die Hard film with Willis. I almost wonder if they started shooting another action film and pushed him in later on. Like, if you've seen Godzilla, they have the original Japanese one, and then they do the American version where they cut American actors into the same <laughs> film. Like, there are going to be moments where this is how this film comes off. I was curious if it had any basis in anything or if this was an original script by Woods. I will say that the films you listed, Stuart, I've seen all of them and I wasn't really impressed with any of them, but I did like his last film, The A-Team. I thought it was a fun romp and that also gave me hope that maybe this guy learned how to do a good action film. If it was coming from the writer of The A-Team, I was hoping this film could be good. No, no, no. A fun romp, you credit the director. You don't credit the writer. The story of A-Team, you can't tell me that it was great. If it was fun, it was because they had chemistry on the set. But they didn't have anything in the story here. And I dare say, there's no way that the story they had here was intended to be John McClane's story. This was by default when they realized Willis was ready to do the next movie. This is what they had, and they just went with it. It's not a progression of his story at all. It's a reaching into the pile of scripts and saying, okay, this. Which worked for three, but I guess it's time to find out if it worked for A Good Day to Die Hard. Arnie, you want to give us a plot? 
When John McClane Jr., or Jack as he's called, is arrested in Russia for murder, his estranged NYPD cop father goes to help. But when John McClane Sr. goes to Russia, he discovers his son is not a criminal, but a CIA agent. The murder was done just to get Jack close to Yuri Komarov, a Russian political prisoner who plans on turning over evidence against Viktor Shagarin. Victor and Yuri, together, used to steal weapons-grade uranium from Chernobyl and cause the meltdown. <laughs> what were they, like 10? The 80s? What okay. is it with this writer? First Three Mile Island, now Chernobyl. Yeah. But when their friendship also melted down, Victor became next in line to rule Russia, and he put his old partner behind bars. Knowing Victor is a threat to the USA with his plans for nukes and WMDs, the CIA tried to free Yuri to turn over the evidence against Victor. But it turns out Yuri had no evidence. It was a double cross. Working with his daughter Irina, Yuri plotted to be taken back to Chernobyl, where he had another hidden depot of uranium for weapons. Yuri has Victor and his men killed and plans to... Alright, I'm not really sure. Do some bad things that are never clearly defined. <laughs> Yeah. But wait, this is a diehard film. Shouldn't we be talking about John McClane? Well, he and Jack think Yuri was kidnapped by Victor and go to rescue him. Then they realize his true plot, which makes them smarter than me because I don't know his true plot. And so they kill him instead and then return to the States and are reunited with John's daughter, Lucy. A nice family reunion, though Mom Holly is nowhere to be seen as credits roll. It's true. The last thing I want to talk about as we discuss this movie is John McClane. It doesn't even start with him. The beginning of this movie, they weave in the old song and we hear some gunfire and the screen's all black. But when the lights come up, it's this really complicated story about two guys whose names I can't pronounce having some <laughs> old spat that I never understand. <laughs> yeah, I didn't understand why they had the Ode to Joy playing what that gunfire was. And then we go straight into the villains. I'm getting a Die Hard 2 vibe off of this. There's no naked calisthenics, but there's a lot of gobbledygoo about crimes and this and that that really just gets me lost and confused kind of like Die Hard 2 did at the beginning yeah they default to news reports we're dealing with BBC telling us who these people are kind of like in Die Hard 2 yeah I was a little bit concerned with the BBC news report because it is as you say gobbledygook and when it happened I'm like I bet that was the entire plot in a news briefing <laughs> and it really was but I wasn't too discouraged. Yuri is playing chess against himself. I guess that's a metaphor for what's going to happen later. But he's in a cell. Victor is outside. He's very angry. He's as impotent rage because Yuri's going to testify against him. It was very convoluted. I realized one of these two was the bad guy. Couldn't quite figure out which one. And I thought that they might have a more interesting dynamic. I see a guy in a prison cell talking to an old friend who's now an enemy and playing chess i'm taken back to professor x and magneto from the x-men series and thinking there might be an interesting dynamic here but no it never happens no anything interesting gets flushed down pretty quickly when this becomes about a file a file we're never told about it's just we gotta get the file the bad guys want the file the good guys want the file there's a file this is just generic crap. This is rewrite. I'm here to tell you now, this was not the plot. This was changed during filming. I don't know the story of this movie, but I will bet my life on the fact that this is not what they originally intended here. This is what they came up with when there was problems with taking the story in the direction that they do. What we will see coming out of all of this is that John McClane's son is in Russia doing a hit, supposedly for the guy that's in jail. 
We see him cut from moving chess pieces in prison to the sun in a disguise, enter a nightclub, get a gun from the kitchen, and blow somebody away in front of a whole host of people. I'm willing to bet that there was never a CIA connection and that that was later added bizarrely and with no logic to try and make him seem like a better person than the way that he was originally written. I disagree. I cannot imagine that they would try to make John McClane's son a bad guy. I just don't see it. The best you'd get is slightly misguided, but an assassin in that way. No, you make him a cop. I don't know why they're doing this, but it reminded me of Mutt Jones, son of Indiana. I don't know if they're grooming this guy so that when Bruce Willis decides he wants to just go off and play the harmonica in the sunset, this guy could take over the franchise. But no, you do not make the son of your hero a cold-blooded assassin or the bad guy. It wouldn't work. I can't imagine they'd start shooting with that script. That said, this opening assassination is confusing as hell because it never pays off who he's shooting. Why he's shooting is paid off, but never who. I believe, Arnie, you just spoke for the studio that saw the dailies. I believe that that's exactly what they did, and then someone in the studio went, Hold up! You are not going to do this. And so all of a sudden, they cut away to CIA rooms, like where people who we never see again are discussing things we've already established just to give us the impression that, Oh, he did this for some reason that's for the government. It never makes any sense. And there's no reason why the CIA would kill someone so that the guy could end up in a courthouse standing next to the guy they really want to talk to. That isn't how they operate. This is a bullshit plot. And it's something they did in post with reshooting when they were told no on making this character more sinister and more dark. And I believe he needed to be. This character needed to have gone bad for us to have Bruce Willis come in and save him and rebond. They try to build it up like, is he really a bad guy? John McClane thinks he's bad. He's told this by another cop. His son's done some awful things. He's like, well, he's still your kid. You got to do what you can do. But there is no mystery whether Jack is a bad guy. I mean, because they do go to that CIA thing. For some reason, they know that there's this hit that's been put out on Yuri. So they got to activate this plan all of a sudden. Like, there's no mystery here. We know he's undercover. Right. Did they kill an innocent man? We don't even know who it is he killed. It never goes back to him. It doesn't even matter. All that we know is that it starts with the bang. We don't think that this kid is bad because we know that the CIA is following his every move. So what are they really doing here? It is a mixed message. I almost think they should have just started, as they always do with these movies, with John McClane. Why not just start with Bruce Willis at the firing range, finding out his son is in a Russian prison, and having it be a little bit more of a mystery? We can work our way into understanding these other characters, if we ever would. But I just do not understand how they set this movie up. It's complete garbage. And again, I suspect it is post-production rewriting, a test audience rethinking, just a mess. I will agree with you when you say, why not start the movie with John McClane? Because this is a diehard film. It should be a John McClane film. John McClane takes a major backseat in this film. He's second to all these other characters who we see first. The Russians, his son, all have so much more to do than John McClane in this movie. They all have character arcs. John McClane is John McClane. And he has nothing to do in this movie. So why not start with him? I'm going to say it's not his movie. 
But they should have made that. I mean, obviously, that's a mistake. You start with him and you stay with him. I'm going to empathize with Arnie. I'm going to back you up for your Batman Begins. I know you get a lot of flack for that, but you talk about how you felt disengaged. You weren't drawn in to Batman Bruce Wayne, who you should be. He's freaking Batman. You should be into his character arc. I finally get what you were saying, because this film, it does everything it can to disengage me from John McClane to make me not care. I have come for a Die Hard film. I would have been here if we were doing this podcast or not because I love the Die Hard films. I'm sitting here and my arms are now crossed. I'm biting my lip and I'm frustrated because I'm hearing about Russian crimes and files and underground CIA agents and John McClane gets about three seconds at a shooting range and I am frustrated and angry at this film already. It's not a diehard film. I'm not frustrated or angry this early. I'm giving it its chance, but I can already see that this movie is making some really interesting choices and that John McClane may not be the focus, but if it tells me a good story about some Russian intrigue, I'm still going to go with it. If it gives me this movie with a born CIA agent, if it's the born ultimatum in Russia with Bruce Willis tagging along, I'll go with it if it's a good movie. But I could tell, yeah, this isn't a diehard movie. And Jack Jr.'s plot is really stupid. So he kills random person and says that he's going to say he was ordered to do it. So he gets put in the courtroom next to Yuri so that Victor's people can blow up the wall. He knew Victor was going to try to kill Yuri, and instead of a bullet, they'd use a bomb that lets him escape to a waiting van. I just want to know what trials are like in Russia. I'm not a court expert, I'm not a lawyer, but you would think a political prisoner like this, it's going to be a drawn-out process. You don't bring all your witnesses on the first day, do you? Especially in a plexiglass cell right next to them. I know Russia, it's got some economic problems, but this seems even a little strange (laughs) for that. No, there's no way that this was the intended plot when they wrote this. What we are to deduce at the end of this was this was the CIA's plot all along to put them in the same courtroom and then maybe the bad guys will break them out trying to kill them. This movie is right from the get-go pathetic in its storytelling of this foreign culture. Yeah, somehow the CIA figured out Victor was going to try this breakout, but it actually wasn't Victor. It's actually Yuri. It's a double cross. Like, he planned his own breakout. It's such a mess. The more you think about it, the worse it gets. I don't mean to hurt your head, Jacob, but it was Victor doing it. But Victor was being manipulated by Yuri's daughter, who was Victor's henchman, theoretically. Oh, okay, yes, it makes sense now. Right, (laughs) yes. Basically, everyone's double-crossing everyone until the credits roll. That's pretty much the way that I take it. But again, to your point, Arnie, is how important is it that we understand these bad guys? If it can just be an exciting action movie in Russia, maybe that's enough. Our focus should be John McClane. We're watching him in humorous fish-out-of-water scenes in which he's taking a cab ride to the courthouse in miles-long traffic snarls. I'm going to just say it right now. This is the worst Bruce Willis performance I've ever seen. I hate John McClane in this movie. I don't want him to be the star of this movie. Bruce Willis sucks. And no, I did not say sex. (laughs) This is the Bruce Willis comedy hour and a half, I guess. It's him there to just make jokes. Like, here's my punchline. I'm on vacation. I'm on vacation. 
Yeah, he must have just seen Beverly Hills Cop. Eddie Murphy said that line a lot in 1984. <laughs> oh, he's on vacation, all right. He's on vacation from acting. This man showed up <laughs> to take a paycheck, came out of his trailer, delivered it once with a smirk, and went back to his trailer to eat his expensive imported-in food. And that's where the budget went. This man is having no joy. I absolutely hate these moments when I watch someone who is milking their franchise for all it's worth and doesn't care anymore. It sickens me that Bruce Willis is just willing to do this with Die Hard at this point. But he is terrible in this film. It's clear he doesn't give a fuck. And he's the worst thing about this movie. How much better would Good Day to Die Hard be without Bruce Willis, I ask you? I would say exponentially. He is terrible. I will argue worst performance ever. I've seen a whole lot more Bruce Willis than you have. Probably so. Cop Out comes to mind. I haven't seen Cop Out, but if that's coming to mind, I know it's a bad sign. Lots of stuff in the 90s, really bad. But yes, this is his worst John McClane performance ever. And I can't believe he let this happen to himself. When we talked about Die Hard with a Vengeance, I kept saying how Sam Jackson didn't get to do anything. And I postulated that there were probably some egos on the set. And Stuart, you said this is John McClane's franchise. We want McClane to be doing all the heroic stuff. Here, Bruce Willis is sitting back... You say he's just coming on and doing it once. They must have been holding up cue cards because if he was reading a script, I can't imagine any star allowing so much of the movie to be taken from him because... He barely does anything heroic in this film, even. No, he's not involved. I believe that the most action he saw was when he picked up the check. He does not (laughs) want to deliver the movie at all. And that's what's so awful about this film, is how little he cares about giving audiences that have supported him all these years the movie that they expect. He does not want to please you. He is here for himself, and he will do what is required to get through this movie. I don't think he cares that he's not the focus of this movie, because I don't think he even cares about this movie. I'm going to disagree. I'm going to disagree a little bit. I'm not going to say he's great in this, but there was the bit about singing and Frank Sinatra when he was in that cab in Russia. I kind of felt like that might have been a Bruce Willis addition to the film. I mean, were you not thinking about the detective when they started talking about Sinatra and they start playing the Sinatra songs? And I really, when the cabbie was talking about singing, I really thought Bruce Willis would break into song. I mean, we know he likes to sing. Bruno and all. You said Willis is reading cue cards here. I feel like he hasn't read the script, that this is just him riffing off of whatever. It is the stand-up comedy hour for him. The taxi scene feels completely improvised. It feels like they got a character actor in who's the Russian guy, and yeah, they just kind of sat there for a couple hours, and then Bruce got out and had lunch and didn't come back, and they were like, well, I guess that's a wrap. But they did have a big plot point here. If the cabbie hadn't been there, Bruce Willis wouldn't have known about the traffic, which sets up Yuri's daughter as a double-crosser. Oh, I guess that's what it is. I thought for sure that this character was coming back. Didn't you for sure think that when the chase starts happening after the courthouse explosion and things move into this traffic chase that we get, that we would see this cabbie again and that he would come to the rescue and be a lovable sidekick like we've seen time and again? Absolutely. When the car chase begins, Bruce Willis goes out and he's hit by a car and he gets up and starts yelling at the driver and punches him out and steals his car. Nice guy, this John McClane. Right. (laughs) But I thought for sure when he's hit by a car, it was going to be the cabbie who gave him a free ride and give him the next ride. 
It was a missed opportunity. I mean, I kind of like this short little bit with this character. I mean, likes a strong word, and I guess I don't really <laughs> feel it that strongly, but I could have enjoyed having a colorful, local color character like this shepherd Willis around for part of the plot. I think you needed to have someone like that. But truly, Willis, yeah, just steals whatever car he needs and participates in this random chase in which he has no role other than to talk to his son and make amends for having a fight three years ago. So here's where the big disconnect comes for me. There's these big explosions. Jack and Yuri escape. Jack's got some kind of delivery van already set up by the CAA to get away with. Did he? Did he actually know he was going to get away? Were they prepared for this bomb going off? Because when the bombs go off, it doesn't just blow open the doors. It vaporizes every single body in the courtroom. There is nobody in that courtroom but them when the smoke clears. I'll say it's a beautiful explosion. Like the way you see those bodies thrown around. I saw this on an IMAX screen. So I really caught some of these details. It was beautiful looking. It's a violent explosion. But yeah, there's no one alive. There, I guess there's a few that still stumble around. But when the henchmen come in, they shoot a couple of them dead. But I took it as they knew this explosion was going to happen. And that's why he had to get there to rescue him. I don't know how else he would have saved Yuri in that plastic cage. Jacob has it absolutely right. That car was put there for Jack to use in his escape, and the CIA were tracking it. So this is a really an anti-CIA movie because the CIA kills innocent people so that they can put their men in a jail cell next to people that they want to talk to and allows other people to blow up whole courtrooms full of innocent people so that they can get their guy to an escape car. I mean, this is some angering bullshit. Well, yeah, that is the plot. And in fact, here's the biggest joke of it all. Not the CIA stuff, but the CIA had it all so perfectly planned. Somehow, they knew everything that was going to happen, and Jack McClane would have gotten away. He would have made his extraction point, except his dad shows up and fucks everything up. Everything that happens, happens because John McClane got involved with a CIA op that he didn't know shit about. His ignorance causes Jack to miss his extraction. Theoretically, had John McClane not shown up, Yuri would have been delivered to the CIA, extracted from Russia, and unable to ever get back to Chernobyl and get his uranium. But because John McClane shows up, he fucks everything up, thousands of people die, and this whole movie occurs. Yes. And this is where I realize we're not watching a sequel to Die Hard anymore. This is a remake of Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. And Willis is playing <laughs> Estelle Getty. That's what we should have watched in prep of this movie. Not any of these last films. This has a lot more to do with that wacky, oh my god, my dad's so embarrassing kind of comedy from the 80s than it ever does with Die Hard. And one of the big disconnects, I said early on that it feels like Willis was cut into a film that he wasn't originally in. Maybe by the end of the film, they had figured out he was going to be in this movie. Now, I know films don't usually shoot in sequential order, but when he confronts his son, and all the way up until the time they get to the CIA hideout, so many of the shots, and maybe this is just bad editing and bad directing, but so many of the shots, they're of one actor. Rarely do you see Willis on screen at the same time as someone else. It moves back and forth between him and his son. And it just doesn't feel like a father-son moment. It feels like two actors talking to themselves and then they were spliced together. It's a weird disconnect that I get through the first act of this film that Willis doesn't even seem to be on the same set as everyone else. Not just mentally, but physically. Maybe he didn't show up in time to do that. To me, this feels like the kind of project where the star walks in and out and does whatever they want because they know it's their thing to do and they're going to do what they 
want to do and nothing more. And uh, yes, I agree with you. This relationship that they tried and forge here between father and son, not only is it annoying and contrived in the worst kind of way of like, you made me mad three years ago, you were never around as a father, so that justifies my international terrorism. But yes, I agree. There literally aren't enough scenes between them in the same shot for you to believe that they have a relationship. Yeah, and the fact that there's all this angst. We said at the end of Die Hard, we were so happy he was reunited with Holly and his family, and that in Die Hard 2, they were still together and still a family. And now, he has lost his wife in 3, was estranged from his daughter in 4, estranged from his son in 5. He is such a pathetic human being that he can't maintain a single human relationship. I hope he's a good cop. I really do, because he's a terrible person. Right. Forget about the son possibly being a murderer. Forget about that being an obstacle from getting the audience's empathy for the character. John McClane doesn't get any empathy. You're right, Arnie. He is the worst father-slash-husband ever at this point. Yeah, it's a terrible setup. Unlike any of the diehards, including the last one, where I did not like the idea of young, sophisticated internet cyber hacker paired with old analog action guy. I thought that was a dumb dynamic. It's much better than this father-son stuff that they have going on here. Ooh, I'm going to buzz in and say no on that one. I much prefer these two backing each other up and kind of mirroring each other and the father-son comedy versus the I-don't-get-computer stuff of the last one. I am enjoying that dynamic far more than I enjoyed anything between those two characters in part four. I'm with Team Stewart here. I, you could go back to Rocky Balboa. I hate films when it's the old guy and he's always right and you stupid kids can't do anything right. And I'm getting that same vibe here throughout most of this film. Even though Bruce Willis isn't doing anything, it's my way's right. I could sniff out that there's something wrong with this scenario. I'm going to save the day. I mean, by the end of the film, Jack is literally like just sitting, cowering, bleeding out while John finally does something. But oh, I hate this dynamic when it's always the old guy. There's nothing to learn from the youngsters. I wish there was something to learn here. I mean, how much more interesting would this dynamic be if this kid were actually bad? Bruce Willis finds out his son is with the CIA and mocks him. He ought to be proud. He ought to be glad that a plainclothesman cop produced somebody that is now working on international affairs in the CIA. Instead, he laughs at him for being a would-be James Bond. This relationship is way off. There's no reason for Willis to feel antagonistic about what this character has done if you're going to say that he has been doing everything for God and country. Yeah, usually someone in the military or law enforcement, when their children go on to carry that tradition, they're very proud of that. Maybe McLean has the same opinion of this version of the CIA that you do, Stuart, that they're awful, murdering hundreds of people to get this one guy, and that's why he has disdain. But no, there is no reason for him to hate his son for being in the CIA. No. No. This is an abject failure, and I'm hating Hating, hating, hating all these dynamics. I think easily this is the worst clutter I've seen for a kickoff to a Die Hard movie, or really any action movie, in quite some time. But here's the part where I actually am going to give a compliment to this thing. This is not going to be a complete smear against Good Day to Die Hard on this podcast, as far as I'm concerned. Because what they do next is absolutely awesome. Oh, agreed. I can say that as much as I don't like why they're doing what they're doing, what they do in this car chase is phenomenal. I can't believe that Moscow or wherever they shot this turned over the city the way they did. But this doesn't look like CGI. When they get into these chasing and flipping around tunnels and off overpasses, this looks like the real deal. And it's exhilarating. 
Yeah, this looks like practical effects. And I think this is shot in Hungary, and they used an actual raceway, I believe I read, huh. to kind of create a lot of this. I was thinking the same thing as you, Stuart. This town must have been hard up for money to just let yeah. them destroy it the way they do. Like, <laughs> commuters must have been pissed that day with the traffic <laughs> they would have caused. I was just thinking what they did for the automotive industry by destroying so many vehicles. Forget a bailout, just make it die hard. <laughs> Yeah, this stretch of film is amazing. When he flips and flips on top of parked cars or when they go over the edge and all this stuff, I'm so mad because I don't care about any of it. And it's so awesome. I just kept thinking in my head, how much better would this be if I had any investment in what was going on? If this were like Dark Knight stakes, this chase would compete with that flipping of the semi in Dark Knight. But because I don't care what's going on with these power plays or like any of these characters, it's just more sort of a numb thrill ride it's the proverbial roller coaster instead of a really tense great scene yeah i think numbing is the right word mclean yells something out like oh why don't you hit the other side of the truck i'm like did this group know he was chasing him i didn't get that oh look at that cool stunt this is russia aren't they really strict hardcore with the kgb and their military like why are there no police why oh look at that cool stunt that's how my mind was going like i was enjoying this it didn't make any sense but i loved how it looked Three for three on this one, because part of me is like, who's chasing who? Why? And is Bruce Willis in this film? Because I'm only seeing exterior shots of cars. I didn't even see much Bruce in this whole thing. But my God, it was amazing. The only ding I can give this entire car chase is it goes on so long that, yes, you guys use the word numb by three quarters of the way through it. I can't take more spectacle. It is so much to absorb and so frenetic and so cool. But the last quarter of it, just because it had come so long, I became exhausted by it. But it is awesome. It is so great. I love it when John McClane is driving on the car carrier, crushing all the cars on the carrier, and then using it as a ramp to get down to another highway. It's astounding. And it just keeps going you think somebody's knocked out of it oh no they are back yeah it's a fantastic scene i'm grateful at the length of it because you know what i was such a sour person at first i'm like this movie's terrible oh wait that's kind of cool but it's terrible oh well <laughs> that's kind of neat oh it's terrible oh my god this is awesome i needed the length of it to convince me that i could really enjoy this scene and i was back on track as awful as act one was after this scene has taken place i am going to accept it of its weaknesses slot it in the expectation realm far below anything we've seen before and just try to appreciate it for giving me this kind of spectacle because if they can consistently give me this this is a recommend a weak one but i will recommend this movie if they can deliver this car chase again and again and again yeah, my arms, they haven't come uncrossed yet, but they've loosened up. If it could keep this kind of thing up, I might be able to get into it. Again, three for three, because if this is the movie, this is definitely a recommend from me. Yeah, I even kind of like the bad guys. I mean, they're kind of impersonal, but the bad guys in Live Free or Die Hard weren't much more colorful than this. Other than the kung fu chick, they never made any impression. They got this guy with a neck tattoo that's tap dancing and all. He's got personality, capital P. He's a larger-than-life figure. And another guy that's got this really awesome goatee and cowboy boots. They have interesting types here. There's a lot of cool people to look at and Irina in the leather and the motorcycle. I won't go so far as to say these are good villains because I don't even understand what they want. But as far as types, as far as figures to plug into action scenes, they've got a lot of 
panache and they've got style and that counts for something when you're just talking about pure spectacle here so i'm now accepting that this movie is about these funky people in a van chasing bruce willis and his son and they want to get this old man and he wants to leave the country i think but he just needs his daughter the whole setup next is i'll give you what you want a file against this politician but you've got to get me out of here with my daughter who didn't know that it was Irina? I gotta ask. As soon as they say that I have a daughter, I knew it had to be the chick that was romancing the politician. I knew it had to be the bad girl because he didn't even have a photo of her on him. They play it so long, I just knew that she could not be an innocent girl waiting for her daddy to come home. I didn't get the final, final twist, but I got that, yes, that was going to be his daughter. She was actually going to be a bad guy. That's what I thought. His daughter was betraying him because she had fallen in love with his rival. I thought so, too. I thought that was the diehard twist. It was always the diehard twist, right? I thought the diehard twist was your daughter's against you. And that whole scene where they go for the key... There's a key in a restaurant where (laughs) Yuri danced with his wife. So let me get this straight. If I ever need to hide something, I should go to the restaurant where my wife and I had our first date and hide it in their furnace (laughs) and hope no maintenance man comes in the next five years that I'm in prison. Five years to repair this furnace and find this key, which is a giant key. It's like the key from He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, the movie with Dolph Lundgren, that kind of key. I expected them to play it like an instrument, but they all go there to get this key and the key will unlock the file in Chernobyl. We'll get to Chernobyl. (laughs) No, but let's look at the larger plot, because I think that's what's really helpful in accentuating how crazy this plot is. What we will finally eventually understand is that this guy is working with his daughter, who's pretending to to betray him, to get this key to this place to get uranium that only they know about and extract it. Why couldn't she do this while he was in Hawk? Because he wanted out. Furthermore, she could have done and got this, got the uranium. He could have just gone with the CIA, been off in America. His hands are clean. Nothing to tie him to this. And what were they going to do with the uranium once they had it? I never get that. They never talk about it. They say what Victor's going to do with uranium, but they never say what Yuri's going to do. He just has uranium. Maybe he's a collector. (laughs) Here's the maddening thing. The terrorist in Die Hard film, it's never about the terror. It's always a cover-up to make some money. Here, no, it is about the terror. They're going to sell uranium, I guess, to, I don't know, the North Koreans or Iran. I don't know, but... Write your own plot. (laughs) But they're going to do something bad with it. There is no final twist. Nope, this is all diversion, so someone else could rob a bank and get a bunch of money. I'd like to also add, while we're pointing out huge plot holes, that at any point, Yuri could have had Victor killed, because Victor is off getting a massage later in the movie... And Yuri makes a phone call and goes, by the way, I'm free. And then the masseuse is an assassin <laughs> and breaks his neck. So Yuri at any point could have killed his rival and maybe the next figurehead would have gone, oh, Yuri, go ahead. Yeah, I didn't like Victor either. Go free. I think what we're supposed to take from that is he literally wanted to hear the sound of the neck snapping to savor the moment. My take on that is that he wanted to be his witness as much as he could to that death. But you're right. This plot will not make sense. And you can untangle every twist and turn and try and self-justify, but it will not cohere. So again, I go back to, all right, we're in the safe house and a SWAT team is raiding it. And all right, they're at a ballroom and suddenly the bad guys, Alik and all of him, are shooting 
shooting up the chandeliers. Am I enjoying this action? Does this count for anything just as a base thrills action movie? Here's what bugs me. So we get to the ballroom. And, you know, I've liked some of the shootout scenes. I like the practical effects. These are real explosions. Watching this on the IMAX, you see all the little details of all the bricks and dust coming down. It was really cool to see that. But you get to this ballroom and the dude, he doesn't even monologue. He dances. The whole time they're like, yeah, just shoot the other guy. Just shoot Jack. We don't need him. We only need Yuri. Just shoot them. We don't care. And then we're going to do a whole dance number scene and tie them up. You didn't care about these people. Why aren't they just shot? There comes a point where I can enjoy the action, but don't give me this stuff that dis- distracts from it. That's a James Bond 101 classic mistake villains always make. Aren't we past that? No, we're not. We are below that. This is like man with the golden gun level of that. I mean, <laughs> this is not even a good James Bond adventure they're doing here. They're remaking a Roger Moore movie is what they're doing at this point. Again, all my standards are at this point is, am I enjoying the action? And you pointed out something that I am still enjoying. I like the locations. When things are exploding, I really like crumbling Russia. I think it's because I'm a child of the 80s. That whole Cold War was so imprinted on me as a child. To now have our 80s action star in that place, having his shootouts, is still a thrill. It's a base thrill, but I really wish this movie was good enough to justify this cool sets and watching these things explode. I really do like just watching the boom. I really do enjoy when the safe house goes up. I really do enjoy the shootout in the ballroom. There's something else I'm enjoying here, though. Jack has this knife in his boot that was set up, and... When Bruce Willis sees this, he starts to laugh to distract the dancing bad guy. And I'm taken back to the end of the first Die Hard, where he's laughing at the yippee motherfucker. And that is the first time in this whole movie that I'm given a Die Hard feel. Because it seems like a replay of that moment as Jack behind his back has a weapon the bad guy doesn't know about. The plot is still indecipherable, and I realize I have the burden of summarizing it later, but... I'm starting to enjoy these characters a little bit, as well as the location. You bring up something that I thought maybe they would do with with this film. You have this taxi driver scene. Could this be the Russian version of Argyle? It definitely seems like a throwback. You have this discussion about Sinatra, so maybe those more in the know, like our listeners, thanks to this podcast, know about the detective and Sinatra playing this proto-John McClane in that film. Like when Jack and John, John's like, shoot the glass above the bad guys, and they start shooting that. Like, I'm like, oh, that's straight from the first one. I wish John would have just said something like, you know, oh, this worked before, let's shoot the glass. Or something like, glad we have shoes. Yeah, something like that. This is the 25th anniversary of Die Hard. Gosh, I'm trying to think of another franchise that just had a big anniversary where they peppered in all the different films into that. Oh, Skyfall, a very well done James Bond film where they peppered in all these things from the entire franchise. And it was enjoyable for those in the know. I thought maybe here, maybe that's what they would do. It would be a celebration of the Die Hard films. We get all these little nods here and there. Nope, I was wrong. But the problem is, Jacob, you'd have to have people that are actively participating, that have been here all this time. You'd have to have a family like the Broccoli's who have nurtured this franchise and know what they've been giving and care to give it again. The only return player, the only one that is still consistently involved, no longer gives a fuck. 
So there is not going to be any loving callbacks to anything because nobody else knows how to do it. And Willis is not here. I just wish there was more craft here. And there just isn't. There is no craft at all. It's a lot of happenstance and things blowing up that looks beautiful. But there's just nothing holding it all together. You mentioned Sinatra, and the thing that made me think about it is, is Willis is now the exact age of the character in Nothing Lasts Forever, the book that became Die Hard. It was about a World War II vet who, when he reached 60, had to become a World War II soldier again when German terrorists attacked an oil refinery skyscraper and defend his child there was an opportunity here to recapture what was done in that original book in this story to tell it more true age-wise to the character as it was written it's a missed opportunity they could have taken that dynamic from this book and yes john could be reliving what he went through with the skyscraper and really intensely finding out whether he can still be the young man that took down those bad guys so many times before but the problem is bruce is not committed to making this seem realistic everyone seems to agree this is stupid we've done this Three other times in between now, there's nothing novel about him taking over terrorists, and so we cannot treat this premise with any kind of seriousness. That's the problem I'm having. Is As much as I love the boom, there's no investment here. It's just junk. Case in point, when we finally get to the end of this scene and the helicopters shooting through the windows, the guys go running out the other side. They don't even know what's there. They just smash through the windows, presuming that they're going to land on something or knowing that they can fall 50 feet and land on something and never break a bone. It is a movie in which physics and logic are just inconsequential. And that is always very hard for me, the non-action movie guy, to go with. I need to believe in the grit, the blood, the broken bones, and this movie is having none of it. Well, they go sliding through this chute. Was there construction going on with this hotel? Because they go through a construction chute, like when you're gutting a high-rise floor, you throw it down this tube so it directs it into a garbage can. I saw this. I know about this because I've seen Home Alone 2, and, and Kevin does the same trick. <laughs> I missed that one. Uh, maybe another retrospective, but I thought that was why was abandoned was that the hotel was under renovation but they got in there because there were laundry guys delivering things so i don't know it doesn't really make any sense i really thought that it was just pure luck and in the first diehard film yes bruce willis jumps off buildings because he's about to die and slim chance is better than no hope at all and we saw this in real life at 9-11 people were jumping out of the twin towers plummeting to their deaths because Fire is coming, and if they jump out a window, they think that maybe there's a something like an action movie will save them, and if they stay the fire, nothing's going to save them. I can go with it, but my god, I just wish, like in the first Die Hard film, he'd grabbed a fire hose to tie around himself or something for that tether to reality instead of, oh, thank god there's a chute. Oh, crap, the chute got shot up. Oh, thank god we landed in garbage. They sure did. <laughs> Even stranger is they get down to the bottom of this building, and if you pay attention, there's, like, already cop cars and ambulances. There's a lady, like, hunched over, like, she's been hurt. I don't know if there was a scene cut out of here with debris falling down from this as this helicopter shot up the building. It just seems really weird and disconnected the way this film was edited at times. I'm going to make a prediction that this was something different. Again, I feel like the plot we have is something that was jerry-rigged after the fact, and that this could have been more about Russian gang war. I mean, that's truly the prevalent problem 
problem in Moscow right now is rival gangs running lawlessly. This scene would be much better if the son was affiliated with one gang, that Komarov was with one gang, and Victor was with the other gang, and that this was gang warfare with these innocent people caught between it. That's how the scene should have played, but it doesn't really make any sense. And again, I turn that switch every time I start thinking in that way because it hurts to analyze this movie with any degree of judging it on fact, logic, or even by the standards of the first movie. We have drifted very far away, indeed, from John McTiernan realism. Well, we're in for 90 minutes of pain because you're doing it on this show. Well, the car chase was so phenomenal, but I will say right now, my opinion is that is the high point of this whole movie. Because when you start having helicopters shooting up construction tubes and falling apart... It looks good. Stuart, you said that during the car chase, it didn't look like CGI. Obviously, there's CGI in this film. I can't tell you where, though. It all looked really good, but the more happenstance occurred, the less tethered we were to the John McTiernan reality, the less I enjoyed these sequences. The car chase was totally improbable, but it had gravity. It had a sense of physics to it. When they jump out a window and just happen to fall into a two-meter tube, that's kind of fucking dumb. It is the back to the problem of him riding on a plane, shooting at a truck, flying under freeways. It's that problem. It's the Bay effect of we just want to do spectacle and it doesn't seem to matter. And these scenes are kind of working, but they're also really aggravating. They stick in my craw just as much as that bolt is sticking in Jack's stomach when they recover from the scene and we get a whole bunch of data dump where Jack tries to explain what's going on and why we should not want Victor to end up with the file the file, or whatever he's supposed to be doing. We don't want him to be a politician that's explained because he'll launch terrorism, weapons of mass destruction, and nukes. Literally, he's trying to say that if this guy remains in power, Russia is going to nuke the U.S. Is that why we get this slow-mo reservoir dog strut of Victor and, like, is it ever Every judge in Russia behind him. It's all these. I have no idea what that scene was about. It was weird. I thought we're going to see all these Russian judges arming nukes and shooting them off at the U.S. And I would like to give a now playing public service announcement to our listeners. If you find yourself impaled by a large piece of metal, do not pull it out. You will bleed a lot. Leave it in you and go to the hospital. The more you know. They don't have time for that shit. They got to get to Chernobyl. 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 Let's go there now. Because they do. Let's not. It's radiated. It's really dangerous. (laughs) Chernobyl. So we believe now, and this is what's really killing me, is that Yuri, at this point in the movie, we think he's our good guy. He's our MacGuffin. He and the file together are the MacGuffin. I don't know why we think he's good, but yes, we're supposed to. And Victor is the bad guy. So these two guys... They are the worst people John McClane will ever encounter because they caused Chernobyl. And he's supposed to be the good guy. I'm so glad when they turned that that they didn't try to make one of the masterminds behind Chernobyl a good guy. But I hated it with X-Men Origins Wolverine. I hate it here. Don't take real-world disasters that kill tons of people and make it part of your action movie. It pisses me off it's disrespectful to the deceased and it is going to turn me away from your movie 
Wasn't there a, a horror movie recently where they went to Chernobyl? Chernobyl too? Diaries. Yeah, I, like maybe it's just a thing now. I mean, there's the Americans on TV. It, maybe it's just time for this return to the Cold War, that there's something we need to do as a culture to come back to those moments from the 80s. It's certainly what this movie is about when it's talking about Reagan is dead and Bruce Willis himself, an icon of the 80s, trying to prove relevancy in this time period. I do not think that we needed this film if it was about anything going on in Russia, to need to focus on that meltdown that happened at their nuclear reactor. There's no way that that can sync up with any crimes that we've watched happen. They should just not have ever touched Chernobyl. My feeling is they felt like Americans knew so little about Russian culture. They had to go here because it was something we all knew, even though it makes no sense. If you've seen actual pictures of Chernobyl, the abandoned carnivals and the nurseries, it is a scary place. The imagery is just haunting. And so I could see why something like Chernobyl Diaries, a horror film, would want to channel that. They don't really channel it here. They use it as a shortcut for, oh, this is big enough that Americans might know what this is in Russia, so we'll go there. Yeah, and again, uh, why we're going there is really confusing to me. Jack says that he's burned in the town. The CIA won't have anything to do with him. He has no more contacts, but he still knows that they're going to Chernobyl. He's known all along that they have this stuff in Chernobyl. How does he get the Chernobyl chip? The key was that the file was supposed to be in Chernobyl. I don't know when he found that out. If he knew that beforehand, if he knew it after. I also don't know why, if Chernobyl is so deserted, they had to have the key. Couldn't they just break down a door <laughs> to get to a file? Well, there is radiation behind there. I don't know if you want to use explosives around it, which they will eventually, but not at the best idea. But they didn't know there was uranium at Chernobyl. They thought there was a file. No, 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 no. But they knew, they knew that these people had caused the meltdown. And so yes. they've also believed that as they were stealing uranium, they kept careful records of that and kept it in a file cabinet and said file cabinet was actually at the crime scene where they stole <laughs> from. Come on. This is tears running down my face, hurting me stupid. Of course you'd want to surround the evidence with uh, radiation. Who's going to go near it except these idiots? I wish they had done that. I wish that the plot had been, there's something important, there's a MacGuffin that we need, and we know no one can get to it because we put it in a place where nobody can go. That would have been an acceptable way for me to accept Chernobyl. The idea that they kept records of them stealing carefully that they could then use against one of them that had gone into politics beyond dumb. Well, then you must have been really happy when you find out none of that happened. <laughs> <laughs> there is no file. And a strange way in which people wake up from dreams and realize nothing that happened in the movie was real. Yes, it's satisfying in that same way. <laughs> yeah, because there's no file, but there's uranium. They didn't even steal it. That's what's so crazy. They siphon it off and put it behind a room of safety deposit boxes. Well, no, they did steal some. It's just Yuri stole even more and kept it and didn't tell Victor. For 25, 30 years. Okay. And now has grand schemes for it that we will never know. This is painful. This is pathetic. And again, I'm not even going to attack the screenwriter for this. This screams of rewriting. This screams of 
people cutting what the original plot was and making stuff up and ADRing one line to explain complicated plots that are completely excised out of this. You cannot convince me that Jack wasn't a part of a bigger plot in which he played a minor villain role. And when the studio said, we don't want a McLean to be this bad, they had to create the CIA wants a file bullshit plot. So does that explain why there's like magic water that gets rid of radiation? Does this exist? (laughs) Can you like spray radiation away to where it's safe enough to take off your radiation suit? They did that in... Dr. No, they gave James Bond a shower to get rid of the radiation, so yeah, I guess so. More importantly, I guess Chernobyl has swimming pools of it, because later on they fall to their safety in a swimming pool. Which they say, oh, it's okay, we're not going to get cancer from it, because it's rainwater. Well, I'm sorry, if there's radiation in the air, guess what? When that water comes down, it's called acid rain. It's got that in it. (laughs) That's what acid rain is. It's polluted rainwater. Yeah. In a swimming pool. Die Hard 6 is going to be in a hospital. They're going to be dying of cancer. Bruce Willis will have an excuse to really be bald this time. Die Hard 6, die chemo. No, they just didn't want to put people in hazmat suits. They wanted to keep the son in tight t-shirts and show off his biceps and all of that. They don't want to hide the actors. And so there's no radiation. Even though they go there in hazmat suits, they quickly take them off. And it's not even about that. I believe that you can go to Chernobyl now. I believe that, like anything, you drop a bomb. And I've been to Hiroshima. I've not been contaminated. I mean, after enough time, it does dissipate. Yeah, I understand that there's wildlife actually living and prospering in Chernobyl now. Right. It all has three eyes, though. (laughs) And this was the first time at the very end where I'm like, I do not care about this movie. Yuri is double-crossing people. And we get a lot of guns, we get more helicopter shooting, and I am so out of it when Bruce Willis is hanging from the back of the chopper as it's flying, making these suicide moves to save his son, and then he just so happens to get flung off the chopper through a window at the same level so he doesn't plummet to his death. This is every bit as silly as the worst parts of the last one. Oh, it's worse. That's not the worst stuff, Arnie. The worst scene comes when Bruce Willis, and it has always been this way, when Bruce Willis has to emote. I love you, boy. (laughs) I've got your back. This is just the pits. When he has to somehow say that it's been fun to destroy Moscow together, and that he's glad that he took this trip out here to, I don't know what, do a lot of property damage. To fuck up his son's career, kill his son's boss, (laughs) fuck up his son's extraction, and then murder a lot of people and punch an innocent motorist. Yes, exactly. This has been a good time for Willis and that he wants to put aside all of the problems they've had in their past, none of which we've been privy to, by the way. I have no idea what the beef was about, but presumably it was the same reason why everyone else hates Willis and wants away from him. I just think that this is the pathetic stuff. Bruce Willis swinging out of the back of a van is a relief. Please do more of that stuff so I never have to watch a scene as terrible as you choking up with your son about how great it is to blow up Chernobyl together. Now, did you get flashbacks of Hans Gruber falling down when 
Jack throws Yuri off the side of the building. It's almost shot the same way, which, again, I thought it was weird that they kept almost, almost alluding to the past films, but no, never not quite. No, Jacob, I think they are doing it. You're seeing it. Yes, that's a clear, intentional recall of that moment with the added thrill of he goes into chopper blades and the daughter is the one that did it. They up it, much like the elevator fight from Live Free or Die Hard was a rethinking and amplifying of that first movie. This is trying to do the same thing. These are moments in this movie, there's not enough of them, and they don't have any dramatic weight, but they are recalling Die Hard. That's the only way that this is a Die Hard movie, because nothing else about it certainly is. Yeah, I just think that when Hans Gruber fell from that building, it meant so much. It was such a victory. And here, this guy goes into a helicopter and i'm just like that's not needed we never hated yuri as much as we hated hans it was never personal for the mcleans the way it was with hans we've never had any stakes in these villains whether one lived or the other if Komarov got away with the uranium or if sherigrin gets the uranium why would we care about any of it the problem with taking Bruce Willis out of America is he is an everyman. He's not a political thinker. He does not have an opinion about how international politics should go. And this makes for completely antithetical entertainment to put him here in this environment. Truly, they should have just made this about evil Russian gangs overthrowing the government and blowing people up with rocket launchers. And Bruce Willis puts them down because that's relatable. Common people being persecuted by bad guys with weaponry, that's something Bruce Willis can handle. Two political terrorists who are working out their past beef over a Chernobyl siphoning, this is not any place for Bruce Willis. I'm trying to ask myself, would I be enjoying this movie at all if it were just Jack McClane? Certainly, I know I'd be enjoying it more if this movie started with John McClane's funeral and Jack McClane being called away by the CIA to work on his new case. Would I be with this movie? And that's obviously hard to know. But I do feel like there is some fun and some thrill here in the same way that Live Free or Die Hard had some fun with those bayish action scenes. I can see the appeal of some of these things here at the end and throughout the movie. I could see myself being more forgiving of how stupid this film is. You're right, Stuart. I could go with these dumb action scenes and not being annoyed by all these questions that are not getting answered, not getting annoyed that you have John McClane not acting like he has in four previous films. The more this film divorced itself from Die Hard, it's not going to be better, but the more tolerable it would be. Here's my thing, though. Without Bruce Willis's son, John McClane has zero invested in this film. Like you say, Stuart, he doesn't care about Russia. He doesn't care about politics. This whole movie for John McClane is reconnecting with his son, similar to how in the last one he reconnected with his daughter and the first one he reconnected with his wife. That is the only investment John McClane has. Here, instead of doing it by saving him, because you only saved the girls in the McClane family, here you do it by killing people, but that's all McClane has in this film. So... It's all we have to grasp onto for fans of John McClane. What if he had died? Would you have been okay with him dying at this moment here in the climax and that Jack had to avenge him? No. I wanted something dramatic. I mean, I wanted something to happen. And maybe I just wanted the promise of a sequel without Willis. But I really thought that that would have been a nice touch to give this movie a lot more dramatic weight than it ever seems to want to take on. I'll give you this, Stuart. I don't want to see Willis in the next one if they do another one after this performance. I'll say that I wouldn't want to see him die 
like this. <laughs> this is not how I want him to go out. I'd like him to go out with honor and dignity and in a better plot where somebody is killing him to kill him, not killing him because he does something really stupid in a country he never should have been in. You know what I want to see? I want to see Holly kill this motherfucker. This guy brings his son home that's been in Russia for three years. The daughter's there. Holly doesn't get invited. This is bullshit that she does not show up. She can show up with her new husband. That's a much better husband and father. But Holly needs to be there at the end for this family reunion. This is total bullshit that she is not there when the whole family reunites. Well, let's take this a step backwards. First of all, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, are you so hard up for work you're back? I'm sure it's contractual. I'm sure she signed a piece of paper when she was in the last one that said, you will do any of these that we need you to do. I don't think that she chose to do this. I don't think she had another opportunity. There was probably no wiggle room to get out of it. The other question then is, has everyone lost Bonnie Bedelia's phone number? Because I'm right there with you, Jacob. Holly should have been there. It would have been so nice, even if they're all not really family, to see them all together. The son has been through hell. Mom should be there with sister to welcome them back. You mentioned all these things that I got as well, where they were paying homage to the original Die Hard. Having Bonnie Bedelia come back, don't ever say a fucking word, but have her there. That would have been so important, and they don't do it, and it pissed me off, too. I hate this ending shot anyway. It's so cheesy, and it goes on for, like, a full minute of them just, like, laughing and hugging and this music swelling, and, like, it's just clear they didn't have an ending. Like, this is a happy ending? No. You should have stayed and ended with Russia. It should have been about a day. A good day to die hard. You don't go to the next day. It was about that day. You have the cabbie come pick them up at Chernobyl and take them away. I don't know. Cap it with Frank Sinatra. You don't do this bullshit happy ending well i guess we're gonna see how hard you kill it then jacob stewart do you recommend a good day to die hard jacob unfortunately this film is not a good film for this franchise to die with i was with you for live free or die hard i tolerated it i gave it the weakest of recommends you didn't have a high bar to live up to to get a recommend for me for a die hard film and yet this film finds a way to duck beneath that I'm on vacation. I think that summarizes the film. Everything's on vacation here. Plot, on vacation. Acting, on vacation. Character moments, on vacation. The only thing not on vacation are the special effects. And they're fantastic. If you are a fan of the Transformer films, then yes, I recommend this film to you. You will be able to enjoy yourself. See it on IMAX so you can see these great car scenes and helicopter fights. Huge and explosive the way you'll like it. But no, this is not a good film. Not recommend. Stewart. It's bad. Is it terrible? That's the question you're asking of me. I love the car chase in this movie. I love the look of the sets and the art direction and watching explosions in this crumbling environment. I think that if the script had been half as good as these images, it would have been an easy pass. And so it's hard to completely damn this film for having something that's so right. But everything else is wrong. And when the star of your film is the worst part about it, at one point Bruce Willis says his son can't get out of the way of himself. Bruce Willis needs to get out of the way of this franchise. This is killed because he insisted on doing it and taking a paycheck and not having a part that features the John McClane we all know and love. The fact that this is a diehard film, it's a burn for any fan of this franchise. It's easily the worst one in the series. It's a pretty terrible film, but I can go with this much. If you just like raw action thrills, there are some great scenes here, and maybe that's enough for you. It wasn't for me. It's a pretty good day to die horribly. 
I don't know that in the history of now playing, we've ever had a show where the three hosts are so similar in opinion. Because I agree that this film has some phenomenal special effects and some pretty damn good action sequences. And it took me back to action films of the 80s, like Commando and some of those others, where it's just about guys pulling triggers. I don't necessarily like movies where guys are just standing around pulling triggers. But Bruce Willis is getting up there in age. It's about all he's got left to do. So he just keeps picking up a bigger gun after a bigger gun and shooting people and smirking through it the whole time. And if that's your kind of movie, you're going to enjoy the fuck out of A Good Day to Die Hard. The other thing I will say is this is not a franchise low. Live Free or Die Hard is still the worst installment in this franchise no yes you can't mean that you cannot mean that i do i do because both have really stupid plots with bad villains but this one has good action that looks real and the other one has bad action that looks fakey i think the difference is willis though i I cannot stand him in this film i was able to go with them in the previous one here he's doing a comedy show and i am not laughing yeah willis was great last time i mean i hate him here hate him here I didn't like him last time. I don't like him this time. The last movie had nothing redeemable. This one, I think, for fans of mindless action, they will enjoy this. I'm giving it a not recommend, but there's things in here that are recommendable. It's just the overall script falls completely apart. There's good things in this movie. It's just not a good movie. So it's a not recommend. I do recommend that Rolling Stones song at the end. (laughs) I couldn't believe the Stones were back together. I'm like, I wonder what band this is that sounds like the Stones. Oh, it's the Stones. Yeah, but they didn't do it for this movie. They're about to go on their goodbye tour again, I think. How many times (laughs) have they done this? But they put out the greatest hits, and this was their new single. And Fox just bought it and said, okay, this is a comparative to having our old dinosaur run around in this franchise. That's kind of what I thought. Old singers outside of their element, old Bruce Willis outside of their element. But Willis has said... He wants to do one last film. Maybe he knows he wants to do one good film before retiring John McClane. But he is saying he is very interested in coming back one last time. And based on the global, if not domestic, box office, I could see why Fox would agree to it. It's the now playing thing. We'll be there whether we want to be there or not. If the question is, do I want to see another one? Hell no. This is a very bitter taste. What I want to see is a great movie where they blow shit up in Russia and it has a better plot. That's what I wanted to see. I want the Cold War revival movie that this pretended to be in its best moments. But no, I want no more of this series. I want no more of Willis. I don't even really like this whole trend. I know it's very cool right now to get all those 80s action guys and show that they still have their stuff in expendable movies or whatever Arnold is doing these days to pay down the mortgage and legal fees. I don't really have any love for those 80s films, so it's no thrill for me to go back and watch them do it in old age. It's not my thing, and no. At this point, I'd advocate a total reboot. Recast, redo it over, go back to the Nakatomi Plaza, or make it more like nothing lasts forever, but no more sequels. Start over, get somebody that wants to be there. Well, I'm obligated now to go see if there is a sequel or a reboot, whatever there is. I'm on now playing. I'm obligated to go see it because we're going to have to review it. But I'll say this. Live free or die hard. Not the best Die Hard film. I recommended it. 
I was still excited for another Die Hard film if it ever came out. I would have seen this film. I knew what the critics were saying before I saw this. I knew it had been panned and gotten awful reviews. I would have still seen it even if I wasn't doing it for this review. If I didn't have to review any future films, I would totally base my opinion on what the critics were saying because this is the one that has broken the trust for me. It feels like such a cash grab here. I don't want to go through this again. I want to have pleasant memories of this franchise. It's one of my favorites. That's saying a lot coming from you, Jacob. Yeah, I agree. You like the last one somehow. (laughs) But for me, I don't think Die Hard should be rebooted. It's a product of its time. Bring on a new story. Don't continue to whip Roderick Thorpe's characters into the ground. Rocky Balboa, this film, old people, go and retire. Let the next generation come and do something. Truly. You know, it's hard enough for Generation X to find work with these baby boomers who won't retire. Can we just get them retired? We're paying your social security. Yeah, do us a favor. Come on. I agree. I agree. When I said I wanted to reboot, it's only if given the choice between this or a sixth Die Hard official film. You gotta start over. I prefer with a fresh idea, but at least with fresh talent. This has given us its best, and whatever else is coming in its future could only be a pale imitation. But... In ranking the franchise as a whole, not a bad one. For the most part, all of these played pretty well for me. I mean, obviously, Die Hard, the original, is the classic. I felt like Vengeance came pretty close. I feel like those two are the ones to see. Basically, if John McTiernan is in it, I don't care whether Willis comes back or not. If John McTiernan came back for the sixth one, I might be excited because his films are clearly the best in the franchise. And then, well, it's a big steep drop after that. But I would actually say Live Free or Die Hard is a little bit better for me than Die Hard 2 was. I felt like it was a little less stupid. And, well, this new thing, I'll remember the car chase fondly and scrub everything away. When's McTiernan's sentence up? When can we get him back to these films? He hasn't directed since 03, so... Why don't just film it in prison and have it be a breakout? That would be great. <laughs> Maybe Bruce Willis can go into a club and shoot somebody and get thrown into jail cell with them and they can make the movie. <laughs> There's your Die Hard 6. As far as the franchise goes, I will always have fond memories of that first one being one of the best action movies of all time. The third one's phenomenal. I like the second one quite a bit. These last two, though, what is it with these aging stars pissing on their legacy? It's pissing me off. And while this is a good franchise for the first three installments, it's really coming down to a matter of having a couple good movies in a franchise whose Q score is dropping every time they make a new one. So the ranking for me is one, three, four, two, five. And the detective is his own thing. I can't really put it in there. <laughs> and I'll go one, three, two, four, five. And I'll go one. Which one's worse for you, Arnie? I'll go one, three, two, five, four. Four is an utter piece of excrement that I never want to think of again. Five has some good things in it. But now that Die Hard is dead, it's time for. Some heroes to save us. Some DC heroes starting next week. That's right. Superman. Although we can't quite get to the Christopher Reeve movie yet, but that's what we're thinking about at this point is it's time to start thinking about the DC reinvention of maybe the classic superhero character. I mean, certainly one of the biggest. And in order to do that, well, we had a three-week window. We're going to do some standalone DC heroes starting with Tank Girl? Well, let's face it. It's not like we really wanted to talk about Tank Girl, Constantine, and Jonah Hex, but they moved Carrie. We were supposed (laughs) to start our Carrie retrospective next week, kicking off a massive Stephen King retrospective, looking at every Stephen King work adapted to celluloid, and then they move it to October, and we're like, fuck, now what do we do? 
Yeah, no, we will get to those, but yes, uh, DC Heroes, you're right. Tank Girl, Constantine, Jonah Hex, it's some way to kick off Superman. I'm not sure if it's the best way. And we'll be dealing with more Bruce Willis action. You guys are going to be seeing G.I. Joe in about a month. Yep, that retrospective starts after the three DC movies, and then finally, look up in the sky. It's a bird, it's a plane, it's a podcast when we do Superman. So until next week, thanks for coming to the party, pal! What you get for being a hero? Nothing. Get shot at. Get a little pat on the back. Blah blah blah. Out of boy. Get divorced. A wife can't remember your last name. Kids don't want to talk to you. You have to eat a lot of meals by yourself. Trust me, kid. Nobody wants to be that guy. Then why are you doing this? Because there's nobody else to do it right now. That's why. Believe me. If there was somebody else to do it, I would let them do it. But there's not. So we're doing it. That's what makes you that guy. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing. Congratulations. You're still alive. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can hear more reviews at our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Get ready for the downloads. You can hear reviews of Terminator, Predator, The Avengers, Batman, James Bond, Rambo, Rocky, and more. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. Launch the downloads. While at nowplayingpodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this review with other listeners. Baby, come on, baby, come to Papa, I'll kiss your fucking Dalmatian. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. This gentleman, as they say, is where the plot thickens. The links to our social media pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Go to the coast, we get together, have a few laughs. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. You like it, huh? How about you give me 20 bucks for it? But I let you live. Man knows how to bark. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Money. Kind of terrorist <laughs> Who said we were terrorists? You can also show your love of now playing podcasts by shopping in our store, where you can buy panties, coffee mugs, t-shirts, totes, boxers, teddy bears, and much more. They're for my wife. Yeah. Bag it. Big time. Now Playing's Die Hard Retrospective Series is edited by Ray, Phil, Dylan, Jeff, and Arnie. I'll be damned if I'm going to clean up this mess! <laughs> now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. You're very impressed with yourself, aren't you? I have my moans. Now Playing is not affiliated with 20th Century Fox. The Detective and Die Hard films are the property of 20th Century Fox and no infringement is intended. Listen, uh, you're not pissing in somebody's pool, are you? <laughs> yeah, and I'm fresh out of chlorine. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. That was unpleasant. Don't let it happen again. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production copyright 2013, all rights reserved. 
and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Enganza Media Incorporated. Non-compliance will result in a penalty. Happy trails, Hans. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Jai Courtney. Is it Jai or Yai? I think it's Jay. Jay? Yeah. Really? Yeah, okay. I just think Fucking it's a way to say, yeah. <laughs> Jay Courtney. Sebastian Cock. Coach? Cock? Bach? Seriously, is it Cock? Uh, it, um, <laughs> uh, it's Coke, I believe. <laughs> Why, let's just make this the game. You can beat the name and I'll correct you. <laughs> Although I don't think I can help you with Radovijoke. <laughs> Brussy Willis? <laughs> it's Brussay. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Jack has this knife in his boot that was set up. Jackknife. And... Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. <clears throat> Stuart, you said you thought... What was that? That was me coughing. Okay. <laughs> Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. But, yeah, you mentioned the action heroes of the 80s. God, Arnold with the last stand, Bruce Willis with this, your move, Stallone. He did, bullet, bullet to the head. head. No, but you didn't Failed. even notice that one, but it came out for a half a week. <laughs> was that this year? Yeah, it was last it was about two weeks ago. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Your move, Arnie. <laughs> Planet Hollywood, how far are you fallen? Oh no, I, I guess we're back to Seagal or Van Dam. Oh god. Yippee Kaye, motherfucker. 